RD Talks, brought to you by Reader's Digest Australia. Please Save My Little Girl by Jim Hutchison. The day began as a joyous outing for a West Australian family, but turned into a night of terror. They're going too fast, said Valerie Cottrell, watching pleasure boats pass dangerously close in the darkness. Sitting next to her on the flybridge of the cabin cruiser Fred, her husband Anthony frowned in concentration as he juggled the wheel. They were among hundreds of boats heading for marinas along the Swan River in Perth, and their wakes had churned the silt-laden water into a confused chop. The Cottrells and their four-year-old daughter Jamie Lee had boarded Fred at noon that warm January Thursday. The boat skipper, Robert Harvey, had invited the family and four other friends aboard to watch the Australia Day fireworks, the climax of the day's holiday celebrations. Jamie Lee had clapped with delight at the fireworks. Look, Mummy, look! She had squealed over and over. The rapture in their daughter's dark eyes made the couple especially glad that they'd taken a rare day off. In addition to looking after Jamie Lee, 31-year-old Valerie helped manage a hotel they owned in the Perth suburb of Rolleystone. A steel worker by trade, Anthony, 28, held down a second job working cranes on construction sites. When the fireworks ended, Anthony offered to take the helm. As he eased the cruiser along, he found himself in a muddle of boats heading for marinas along the route to the port of Fremantle. Vessels ranging in size from ferries to small runabouts were all trying to leave at once, funnelling into a dangerous crush in the river's 30-metre-wide navigation channel. Harvey decided to wait a while before returning to Fred's mooring. An hour or so later, just before 10pm, the aquatic traffic jam still had not cleared. Seeing that Jamie Lee was tired, Valerie carried her to a bunk in the forward cabin and covered her with a blanket. The little girl, dressed in tights and a t-shirt, fell asleep at once. Valerie smiled, kissed her goodnight and quietly closed the cabin door. She and Anthony were fiercely proud of their bright, happy daughter, their only child. As she walked down the narrow companionway, Valerie had trouble keeping her balance. The boat was rocking violently. She reached the flybridge just as Anthony turned into the deepest part of the channel, near the yacht club at Pelican Point. Suddenly, a large cruiser loomed out of the darkness behind them. Roaring past on their port side, it sent a high wake surging toward them. Then the wake from another boat smacked in from starboard. Top heavy with four people on the flybridge, Fred rolled violently. Valerie braced herself. Then her eyes widened with alarm as the cruiser kept toppling to port. She had a moment of sickening realisation. We're going to capsize. She immediately thought of her daughter. Jamie Lee's downstairs. In moments the boat was upside down. Part of the superstructure smashed into Valerie's shoulder and head, driving her deep underwater. Furiously she lunged for the surface. By the light of passing boats, she could see Anthony and the other adults struggling in the water. Where was Jamie Lee? Rocking crazily in the turbulent water, the upturned boat was almost fully submerged. Less than a metre of bow showed above the waterline. The stern trailed downward at a 45-degree angle. Mind-numbing fear gripped Valerie. Jamie Lee is still inside, she screamed. Please save my little girl. Anthony thrashed his way to the stern and dived under the hull, 
straining to reach the companionway leading to the cabin door. He quickly ran out of oxygen and had to surface. The others took turns diving, but soon they were clinging to the hull, exhausted. Other boats quickly pulled up to assist, their crews shining torches and tossing out life vests. Call for help, Valerie yelled. My little girl's trapped in there. With renewed strength, Anthony swam to the bow and hammered on it with his fists. Jamie Lee, can you hear me? It's Daddy. There was no answer. Valerie began to shake uncontrollably. Clinging to the hull, she choked back wrenching sobs. There was nothing she could do to save her child, and the knowledge was unbearable. Dear God, she prayed, don't let my daughter die. Mayday, boat capsized off Pelican Point. One person trapped inside. Acting Sergeant Paul Kimber, 38, patrolling the river on a water police speedboat, responded to the distress call. This is Victor Mike 3, we're on our way. Kimber then alerted the police patrol boat Signet, which also headed toward the yacht club. Aboard Signet, Senior Constable Mark Mackin saw the faster boat pass by with blue lights flashing. Like the other dozen members of the water police on duty that night, the tall dark 35-year-old was having a hectic time. He'd just apprehended a drunken skipper who had been trying to ram other boats, but as Mackin leapt aboard the culprit's craft, he'd landed on empty beer bottles and twisted his right knee badly. Meanwhile, at the accident scene, a thread of hope was restored. From inside the overturned cabin cruiser had come Jamie Lee's pleading voice. Daddy, get me out! I'm scared! Anthony jerked around and pressed his ear to the bow. Jamie Lee, can you hear me? he shouted. Daddy! the child wailed. Relief flooded Valerie. Now there was hope, but also frantic urgency. She knew what happened when a boat overturned. Jamie Lee must be trapped in an air pocket in the forward cabin, but all the time water would be leaking in as the boat rocked in the turbulent water and the air would be escaping. It would rise until the child's face protruded just above it, pressed up against the cabin floor. Soon, perhaps in just minutes, all the air would be gone and the boat would sink, taking Jamie Lee with it. Pole Air One, a police helicopter, hovered above the river illuminating the chaotic scene with a powerful searchlight. When the signet arrived, its skipper eased the 13-metre patrol boat alongside the upturned cabin cruiser. Ignoring the throbbing pain in his knee, Mackin leapt into the water. He was greeted there by Paul Kimber. There's a little girl in the cabin up front, Kimber gasped. In more than a dozen energy-sapping dives under the bow of the cruiser, Kimber had managed to open the small hatch to the forward cabin and reach up inside with both hands. He felt a cushion and then the little girl. Jamie Lee had grabbed his wrist, but lack of oxygen had forced him to surface. I don't have much left in me, Kimber said. I'll take over now, mate, Mackin replied. No stranger to emergencies, Mackin had once received a call from a desperate mother whose baby had stopped breathing. He had talked her through the resuscitation process and the baby had survived yet nothing in his training had prepared him for this. More than 20 minutes had elapsed since the cabin cruiser capsized and its hull was being tossed violently about by passing boats. If this thing swamps, it'll sink in seconds, Mackin thought grimly. There would be no chance of saving the child from six metres down on the riverbed. None of the police boats carried scuba gear. It could be my own kid, Mackin thought. The younger of his two children was a girl aged eight. 
Grabbing a torch, Macken swam down towards the cruiser's bow rail. The light beam penetrated less than an arm's length in the murky water. He managed to reach the fore hatch before he had to resurface. On his second dive, Macken struggled to clear the hatch of rope that snaked out into the water. The spaghetti-like mass coiled menacingly around him. Lungs bursting, he kicked free of rope and debris and rocketed back to the surface. Gulping for air, he realised he'd almost fatally misjudged the length of the return trip. Another mistake down there, he thought, and I'm dead. Jamie Lee had been trapped for nearly 30 minutes. For Valerie and Anthony, it seemed an eternity. Jamie Lee, speak to me, her father yelled. There was only silence. In desperate haste, Mackin and Kimber dived again and again. While Kimber hauled aside debris, Mackin attempted to reach up into the cabin and grab the child, but each time he encountered a wall of clothing, rope and waterlogged cushions. When he thought he'd cleared it, more took its place. Each time the men came up empty-handed, the parents and others shouted suggestions at them. Focus, Mackin told himself, realising that as the more experienced diver, he was the child's best chance. By now, though, he was near total exhaustion. He needed to get inside the cabin and carry the child out. But if, once inside the cabin, there wasn't enough air left for him to fill his lungs, getting himself and Jamie Lee out and back to the surface might not be possible. What he needed, Mackin knew, was scuba equipment. We need some kind of air, he yelled. A fireman on the signet ran to the rail. I've got a BA unit, he called. The firefighter's breathing apparatus consisted of a flexible silicon mask that covered nose and mouth. This was linked by a hose to a cylinder of compressed air strapped to the user's back. The equipment was for use in smoke-filled rooms, not for diving, but Mackin knew he had no choice. He swam to the signet. Leaning over the rail, the fireman strapped the BA mask over Mackin's face and opened the tap on the air valve. Mackin dipped his head underwater to test the mask. Water seeped in and there was no air regulator. Not ideal, he thought, but it would have to do. Immediately, he realised there was another problem. Unlike lightweight aluminium scuba tanks, the firefighter's compressed air cylinder was made of alloy steel and weighed 16 kilos. Without the benefit of a scuba diver's buoyancy vest, Macken would sink. Yet, if the cylinder was held on the surface, the hose would not be long enough to allow him to reach the cabin. Macken and Kimber came up with a plan. We'll go down together, Kimber said. I'll hang the tank off my feet and hold on to the boat. That should give you better reach. Macken agreed, and Kimber quickly hooked his feet into the cylinder's shoulder webbing. Macken fastened the mask to his face with its elasticized strap, gave a thumbs up and dived. Kimber submerged with him, keeping his head close enough to the surface to allow him to reach up for air when he needed it. At the hatch entrance, Macken took a tentative breath. Water leaked into the mask and trickled into his mouth, but he could breathe if he did not gulp air. A sudden wave of claustrophobia struck him. Some years before, on a night training dive for the water police, he had been roped to two other divers for a bottom search of the river when his air cut out. Suffocating, panicking and swallowing water, he had groped his way to the nearest diver and signalled. They had made it to the surface by buddy breathing. Thinking again of his own children... Mackin mustered his courage. Taking a slow breath, he squeezed through the hatch and pulled himself up through the water inside the upturned cabin. 
His head and shoulders surfaced in an airspace so shallow that his head touched the inverted floor. At first, he saw only a floating mass of clothes, ropes, coolers and nets that had tumbled out of lockers. Then his torch beam found a tiny face plastered with dark hair. With only her head and shoulders above water, Jamie Lee was clinging to a partly submerged cushion. She stared at Mackin wide-eyed with fear. My mask probably makes me look like a monster, he thought, and fearing the hose could get trapped by debris on the way out, he discarded the breathing apparatus. There was still enough air left to breathe in the tiny space. Jamie Lee lunged at Mackin, throwing her arms around his neck. Hello, my name's Mark, Mackin said. I'm going to take you to Mum and Dad, but first we're going to play a game, okay? The child nodded. Mackin was grateful that she didn't seem panicked. He could get her out only if she trusted him. We're going to count to three and see how long we can hold our breath, he said. She nodded again. Mackin counted to three and Jamie Lee obliged by taking a deep breath. That's great, he said, his cheerful tone belying his anxiety. Now let's do it for real. On the count of three, take a big breath, close your eyes and we'll swim out. I'll hold on tight to you. Mackin's cheerful tone belied his gut-wrenching anxiety. He was worried that Jamie Lee might panic or try to breathe underwater, or that they might become snagged on the way out. We're out of options, he told himself. As Jamie Lee took a breath, Mackin filled his own lungs and squeezed through the hatchway. Rope coiled around his legs. He kicked free, and suddenly they were out of the cabin. Mackin held Jamie Lee's body tightly against his as he groped blindly in the dark, bumping against another web of rope. Batting it aside, he fumbled for the bow rail, gripped it with his right hand and hauled himself downward. The little girl lay limply against him. Now, the effort of swimming with one arm supporting her was costing Mackin precious oxygen. His chest pounded as he cleared the bow rail. Thrusting the girl before him, he began to kick wildly for the surface. Suddenly, magically, Kimber's brawny arm appeared and snatched her up. When the rescuers burst to the surface, Jamie Lee lay limp in Kimber's arms for an instant, her head lolling. She's dead, thought Jim Cook, a crewman aboard Signet. Then she gasped for air and cried out, Daddy! A cheer erupted and Kimber handed the child to her father. Lose something? he asked, grinning. Anthony wept as he passed Jamie Lee into her mother's arms. The Cottrells and the other cabin cruiser passengers were transferred to Signet as Mackin lay back in the water, utterly spent. Kimber said matter-of-factly, Nice job, mate. Signet raced to a shoreside rendezvous with a waiting ambulance. Jamie Lee and her mother were taken to hospital. Others on the cruiser were wrapped in blankets and treated for shock and exposure. Unharmed by her ordeal, Jamie Lee was later allowed to go home with her thankful parents. Meanwhile, Mackin climbed aboard Victor Mike 3, threw a line to Kimber, and they towed the capsized Fred out of the navigation channel. By the time they had tied it to a mooring, it had sunk. Next afternoon, Valerie and Anthony took Jamie Lee to Water Police Headquarters. There's no way we can adequately thank you for what you did, Valerie told the two policemen. Mark Mackin and Paul Kimber were each rewarded with a hug from Jamie Lee. Thinking back on their near tragedy, the Cottrells realised that taking a day off to spend with their daughter wasn't enough. Children are too precious and too soon gone from our lives, Valerie says. 
They deserve more of our love and attention than we sometimes give them. The West Australian Governor awarded Kimber and Macken commendations for bravery. Since the incident, all WA water police boats carry emergency scuba gear. For more RD Talks, visit readersdigest.com.au. Brought to you by Readers Digest Australia, a division of Direct Publishing. Редактор субтитров А.Семкин Корректор А.Егорова